Good morning. Good morning. If you would find your seats, we'll get started this morning. And as you're finding your way to your seats, if you could turn to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 4. Ephesians 4, verse 4. Have any of you guys seen that YouTube video of the people saying not to touch your face and they're all touching their face? I swear I don't touch my face until I'm told not to and then I'm all itchy. So Ephesians 4 verse 4. Before we get started, um, of course I want to spend some time talking about what's been going on in our country a little bit. Um, What's going on in our country, our state, and our community and here at church. uh, And then we'll jump into the sermon. course is coronavirus that's been going around. I'm sure many of you are probably sick of talking about this, and there's many of you that might be a little nervous, um, even anxious. Uh, We had the highest viewing of our uh, live stream this morning, which we are blessed to have that, Um, and I'm thankful for those that are sick that are deciding to stay home and still being a part of us watching on live stream, so if you're watching, thank you. Um, I just wanted to encourage you this morning before we jumped in our service, or, or our sermon this, this morning, and um, just to give you three ways we should be responding to this pandemic. And it's considered a pandemic. I think it's an appropriate word uh, for what's going on. Three ways that we should be responding as a church body, as Christians, as Country Oaks. First one is with faith. The second one is with wisdom. And the third one is with submission. Submission. With faith with wisdom, and with submission. And so I just want to start with faith and give you some verses that hopefully you can meditate on and reflect on as the day-to-day happens um, to give you peace. Second Timothy 1.7 says this, and we don't have any slides for these, so if you want to just listen, Second Timothy 1.7 says this, For God has gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Hebrews 13.6 says, So we can confidently say, The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Or Matthew 6.27, And which of you, being anxious, can add a single hour to, to his span of life? We all know that our days are numbered. God knows exactly when our birth was and when our death will be. You know, our life are in... God's hands. And that leads us to 1 Peter 5, 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Or John sixteen thirty three. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulations. We're promised that. We're going to have hard times. We're going to have bad circumstances. We're going to have viruses. We're going to have sicknesses. We're promised that, but take heart. I have overcome the world, Jesus says. God transcends everything. That includes viruses. God is sovereign over everything. Again, that includes viruses. I love R.C. Sproul. He says this, that there is not a maverick molecule in the universe. There's not a molecule that's not under God's control. God is all-powerful, he's sovereign, and when you add the fact that he's all-loving and completely wise, 
We get a God that is trustworthy, and therefore we should not fear. We should trust in God. We have hope. There's nothing that can take away that hope from us either. Romans 8, 37 says, No, in all things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angel nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, includes viruses, will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's why... I am preaching Ephesians 4, 7 today because that is just the next verse where we left off. Um, but I want to give you a challenge as a church body because I think this is, as Mike said, a great opportunity. It's an opportunity to share our faith. Right? This is an opportunity to tell people about our hope. Right? To tell people, neighbors, people that are anxious, that, that aren't Christians, why we're not fearful why we're not anxious, who God is, and why we trust in him and to share the gospel. He's trustworthy because he's proven it. He sent his son to die on the cross for our sins, and whoever puts their faith in him shall have eternal life. If you're not a Christian this morning, that's your only hope. Put your faith in Christ, who died for your sins, who was raised on the third day, who conquered death, and is the King of kings and Lord of lords. Trust in him this morning. So our first response to this should be faith. You guys have something playing back here? Do you know? Sounds like someone else is preaching. (laughs) We could turn it up and I'll stop. So our first response should be faith. (laughs) I'm glad our our response is laughter, too. Our second response should be wisdom. And this is where some of us may struggle. In 1 Timothy 5.23, Paul tells Timothy to take a little wine for the sake of his stomach and frequent ailments. What happened in, in, in that day and age was wine and was used to purify water because there was so much disease in water. And with diluted wine, wine would purify water. And Paul is telling Timothy to live wisely. You live wisely and take care of your physical body, Timothy. That's what Paul's telling Timothy. And we're commanded to have faith, but we're also called to live wisely. So what's that mean for us as, at COBC as a church body? Well, wash your hands. Right? And wash them often. Uh, we talked about this earlier. I don't know about the whole saying hi to people with the... <laughs> but we, we're not going to shake hands or hugs. We'll try to limit that. That's hard. It's been awkward all morning for me as a pastor to not shake hands or hug. Uh, We'll try our best. Please don't get offended if someone walks past you and doesn't shake your hand. Um, Offering at the end of the service today, we're not going to pass place around. We're just have the 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 uh, usher stand at the doors with the offering plates. You can put your offering in as you're leaving. Um, If you're one of the high risk, um, an older generation, or you have, especially if you have some health conditions, we are asking you as the leadership at this church please consider staying home and watching live stream. And it's not that you're unfaithful or not trusting God. You're just living wisely. And God has commanded us to live wisely. So just live wise. So we should respond to this with faith. We should respond to this with wisdom. And we should respond to this with submission. And this is probably, I know our church, I know a lot of people in our church, this is probably the hardest one for us. 1 Peter 2.13 says this, 
Be subject. That's another word for submissive. Be subject for the Lord's sake. That's God. For the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be the emperor as supreme or the governors as set by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should not be put to silence, or you should put the silence, the ignorance, and foolish people. Live as people who are free, but not using your freedom as to cover up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. The government has been given authority by God to govern. That's Romans 13 and, and what we just read in First Peter. And given authority by God to pr- protect its citizens, to enforce just laws, to manage the borders for military defense, and to collect taxes. Therefore, public health decisions rightly fall under the authority of the government, not the church. just want to be clear on that. We are called as Christians to be submissive to the government. And I just want you to just hear what Peter says, because this is crazy to me. First Peter 2.13 again says, Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be the emperor as supreme. And then later on he says, Honor the emperor. You know who the emperor was in this time? Nero. Man that murdered, massacred, tortured Christians. We are called to be submissive to the government under two conditions. Unless two things happen, unless the government commands us to do something God has forbidden us to do, or the government forbids us to do something that God has commanded us to do, because our highest authority, of course, is God. Everything else we're called to be submissive to the government. With that said, the state of California because of this virus that is spreading, has asked us to do two things, and that's to counsel large gatherings with 200 people, or 250 people and above. And in smaller gatherings, we're told to try to stay six feet apart. Now, first service, we're doing pretty well. I don't know if we're doing as well in this service. I take that, and I'm being serious, as family units, because obviously you're sharing the same germs, to try to be six feet apart as best as we can. Okay? Um... As an elder board, we decided to have church today because both services at their largest are around 250 people. And so we should be under that, especially, and this is what I'm asking, that people with high risk stay home and anyone that is feeling sick at all to stay home. We should be well under 250 people, and I think we're under 250 people right now, although there are more people here than I thought would be here this morning. And you know what? I, I praise you for I thank you. Um, I, it'd be so hard to miss a Sunday for me. Uh, whenever I get four Sundays off a, a year, when I miss one of those four, I'm like excited to get back because just being with everyone. So I get that. Some of you might be thinking, and I just want to throw this in here because I think it's important. Doesn't Hebrews tell us to meet regularly with each other, though? Hebrews 10, 25, so therefore shouldn't we disobey the government because the government is telling us to do something that we're commanded to do in Scripture? I don't think so, and here's why. Hebrews 10 doesn't give us a legalistic number of how to meet regularly, right? We follow, the reason we meet on Sundays, I don't know if you know this, is because in Acts, the church modeled that. 
they met on the Lord's Day, which was Sunday, the early church. And so we, we follow that modeling, but we don't have a legalistic number. Otherwise, if you missed one Sunday for something, then you'd be in sin, right? And we don't, we don't say that. So, so there's flexibility on, on that regularly meeting. So I think we can take a few weeks off if we had to, to be submissive, and or maybe meet in smaller groups as a church in people's homes to be submissive. We haven't discussed that as an elder board yet, um, but we may have to do that in the future here. The heart, and I believe the heart behind the state's requests, and I know, I know my audience, a lot of us has a, have a distrust in our government. I want to be, and you know what? I've traveled this world a lot. I, I've gone to many different countries. We are blessed for the government we have, including California. I just want to say that. The reason we say cross-cultural workers is because people get in trouble that are in other countries. We're free to say that here as of now. So with that said, I want to be submissive to California as best we can. I don't believe the state's request is uh, an attack against worship. I believe it's truly a health concern. They're They're not focusing on churches. Therefore, this falls under the government's biblical authority to protect its people. And as Christians, we should do our best to obey. That's where we're at as elder board. So what's this mean? Well, three things for our our church, our body, Country Oaks. Um, In the back, and on our website, if you go to our website right in the front page, it says coronavirus on there. The elders have made what we call a readiness plan. And the the whole purpose of this is to just kind of get on the same page as the elder board and get the church to see what we're thinking. And so we're all, as a church, on the same page. And and we have different different levels and different things we'll do depending on different things that happen. And so I'd encourage you to get that if you can. It's in the back, and just ask me. I'll point it out where it's at. Or just look on the website, and you click on it, and you have have it right there. So that's the first thing I'd ask you to do. Second thing is just pay attention. This is day-to-day. I mean, I had a sermon ready by Thursday, and I had to redo everything. Um, because Thursday, like, it was like the NBA is not playing anymore. The, like, just was, cra- it was crazy. And, um, so do your best. Do your best to be informed. Uh, I think we're taking Awana off this Wednesday, and I think that's appropriate. Um, uh, so pay attention to our website, to emails. To social media and we'll try to inform the church the best we can on what's going on. And the third thing is this, we may have to cancel Sunday services. A lot of churches that, that we love and look up to have done that this Sunday and a lot of them are a lot bigger than us and that's why they're trying to, most of them that I've seen are trying to obey the government more than anything. They're not afraid of the virus coming in and you know they're just trying to obey the government. Um, the government may come in or we may decide as an elder board that hey we need to take a Sunday off. Thankfully, we have live stream. I would encourage you uh, to watch on live stream if we do take a Sunday off so you are somewhat connected. It's going to be really weird for me to preach to no one, okay? But I am willing to sacrifice. (laughs) Um, I'm thankful for the live stream, by the way. It keeps us connected. So thank you for everyone that that has been working. I mean, Anthony, uh, Thomas, uh, Rob all the people in the back there working. Thank them. They're behind the scenes. But we're blessed to have that. A lot of churches are scrambling right now to try to figure out how to do it. And we are doing it well because of people, not me, like, at all. I'm not tech, 
technologically advanced. Um, but before we get started this morning, so those are the three things that we ask as a church. Uh, before we get started this morning on the sermon, and just so you know, that's just an introduction that doesn't count for my time for the sermon. So. Um, I'm just joking, so you get, just so you're not worried, I'm going to just end when we're supposed to end, about when we're supposed to end, wherever we end. So we're probably not going to get through my whole sermon this morning. But President Trump has asked us to pray. And um, when the government, when the president asks us to pray, we should respond in prayer. Um, so that's what we're going to do this morning. And I'm going to ask if the elders, I think everyone's in here. First service, there was no elders in here, and that's because they are all teaching And that's what they're supposed to be doing. So it made me happy. This service, we have a lot of elders. So elders, if you would come up here this morning, we're just going to pray together. So if you would, look at Ephesians 4, verse 4. And again, we're going to just jump right into where we left off because God is sovereign. He knew we would be where we would be today and what we'd be talking about. And so Ephesians 4, verse 4. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Verse 7, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. You've been saying as we were going through the book of Ephesians that you can just split Ephesians in half. Right? As an outline, the first three chapters, chapters 1 through 3, is this deep theology Paul telling us what God has done for us, what has happened to us, about God's grace on us. And there's only one command in the first three chapters. But then you get to Ephesians 4 through 6, and you get to the practical living. How should we live in light of this deep theology where we find 39 commands on how to live? Ephesians 4 really starts that practical living part, and we've just started to get into this practical part of Ephesians. And so I want to look at Ephesians 4, verse 1, just one more time. Look at it real quickly. It says this. I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Kind of lays the foundations, the thesis statement of all of Ephesians 4 through 6, the second half of this book. It's all about the Christian walk, and that's just a metaphor of how we should live now as Christians because of this grace that's been poured out on us in chapters 1 through 3. In fact, look at it one more time. Verse 1, it says, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Ephesians 4, 1 through 16 is this call that we should walk in unity as a church. Now look at verse 17. Ephesians 4, verse 17 says this, Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no no longer walk, walk as the Gentiles do in the fertility of their minds. Ephesians 4, 17 through 32 is this call to walk, walk in holiness. Not as the pagans do. Not as the world does. Now look at Ephesians chapter 5 verse 1. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk, verse 2, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Ephesians 5, 1 through 6, 
It's all about the fact that we should walk in love. Walk in love. Now look at verse 8. Ephesians 5 verse 8. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Ephesians 5, 7 through 14, we should walk in light. Walk in light. Look at verse 15. Look carefully how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. Ephesians 5, 15 through chapter 6, verse 9, we should walk in wisdom. And lastly, Ephesians 6, 13, therefore take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand the evil day and have done all to stand firm. Finally, we are called to stand in warfare. Ephesians 6, verse 10 through 20. Right? It's a Christian walk. The whole second half of Ephesians is about our walk. And our Christian walk, our walk after being saved, it's all done by grace. It's all by grace that we walk. In fact, chapters 1 through 3 is all about grace, how God has graced us, how he's blessed us, how, how he pours out his grace. If, if you would, turn back to Ephesians 2, verse 8. And at this point, we should have this, this portion of Scripture memorized. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It's a gift of God. It's a gift. It's grace that's been poured out on us. Verse 9, not a result of works, not because we have done good. So that no one may boast, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God prepared all of this beforehand. All we have to do is walk. It's by grace. Salvation is by grace. Our sanctification, our Christian walk is by grace. And listen, ministry. We're all called to minister to each other. Ministry is by grace. Today we're going to look at God's grace that empowers us for works of ministry. And I have three points. We're going to get through one, hopefully. Christ's gifts given to individuals. We'll just stay there. That's the point we're going over today. One point sermon. Christ's gifts given to individual. Look at verse 7. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. That word but is actually a very important word in this uh, portion of scripture. It implies a contrast. Right? There's a contrast between the portion before this and verse 7. A contrast between unity and diversity. Right? We spent two weeks of recent diving deeply into the doctrine of the Trinity because the Trinity is foundational to the church's unity. We learn that the Trinity is both unified in essence. The Trinity is one God, yet diverse in persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Therefore, the church, the local church, Country Oaks, is called to model this. Verses 3 through 6 is the unity of the body, and that's contrasted to verses 7 through 11, which is the diversity of the body. Look at what unifies us. Let's look at verse 3 through 6 again. We've read this a lot. Verse 3 eager to maintain the unity, the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you are called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Right? There's one body. We have a shared 
common experience in Christ. We are one body. There's one spirit. We have a shared common spirit living within us, the Holy Spirit, if you're saved this morning. There's one hope. We, we share a common hope, eternity. There's one Lord. We share a common Lord. Jesus is Lord. There's one faith, one, one common belief and central truths, doctrines that unify us together as Christians, Protestant, evangelicals. One baptism, we share a common experience of being spiritually baptized into Christ's death, and we, we display that, we proclaim that when we do water baptisms. There's one God and Father. We share a common Father. We are one family. We are brothers and sisters. We are one. This is what unites us, one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father. But, right, verse 7 starts with but. There's a contrast, but, but unity is not uniformity. Unity is not redundancy. Unity is not sameness. We are also very diverse. Look at verse 7, but, there's a contrast, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. All unity is replaced with each one of us, diversity. Right? Grace was given to each one of us individually. Right? Grace was given. This is not in particularly saving grace it's talked about here or sanctification grace. This is particularly talking about ministry grace. Empowering grace to serve one another. Grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Christ has graciously and sovereignly given us gifts Right? Each one of us gifts. By his grace, God empowers us through these gifts to edify each other, to build up one another, to love one another, to serve one another for the common good. Look at verse 7 again. Let me just read it. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. There's three observations, so here's your three points. There's three observations I'd like to make in just verse 7. The first observation is this. Every Christian has a gift to build up the body. If you're saved this morning, if you are a follower of Christ, if you put your faith in Christ and you have the Holy Spirit living within you, you have a gift. And you're called to use that to edify the body. Look at verse 7. Grace was given to each one of us. Every one of us, according to the measure of Christ's gift. 1 Peter 4.10 says this, As each... Every one of us, in other words, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. 1 Corinthians 12, 7. To each, means every one of us, to each is given, the context is spiritual gifts, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. We all have a spiritual gift, and not the same gift. There's many different spiritual gifts, for example, faith, giving, leadership, teaching, ministration, helping, service, mercy. When you were saved, God graciously gave you a spiritual gift that is needed in the local church. It's needed here at Country Oaks. You're needed. Think about this. Spiritual gifts, right, because... 
We talked about Christ's love, that, that we love because he first loved us. In other words, the love that's poured out in us just overflows, and it should overflow on other people. Well, that works with grace, too. The grace that God has poured out on us should just overflow, and we should grace other people. Think about this. Spiritual gifts are given to us. Given. It's grace that empowers them. They're given to us so that we can give them to others within the body. That we can serve one another with those gifts. So each one of us has a spiritual gift. That's the first observation I like to make. The second observation is this. Your gift is unique. Look at verse 7. Given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. You would think it would be gifts. The Greek is it's singular. It's gift. One gift. Does that mean you only have one spiritual gift? Well, this is debated. And... Everyone has different answers on this. But listen to what 1 Peter 4.10 says again. As each has received a gift, singular, use it to serve one another. Singular, a gift. The, the, the syntax of the Greek, it makes it sound like we only have one gift. I'm just, that's what the Greek makes it sound like. And this is hard. As I look at someone like Craig, I'm looking out here, who definitely has the gift of administration, but also has a gift of teaching. So that's, how does he only have one gift? Or you think of someone else in history like Paul. Gift of apostleship, gift of tongues, gift of healings. These are sign gifts. He also had the gift of teaching, gift of leadership. How does he only have one gift? Well, here's what I think, and this is just my opinion. There's people that disagree with this, but there's people that also agree with this, and I steal this from other people, so it's not like I came up with this on my own. Um... We all have one gift, and it's a gift that's a unique combination of many giftings. In other words, we have one gift that is a unique combination of the different giftings listed in Scripture. Meaning, your spiritual gift is completely unique to you. It's like a fingerprint. Let me just give you an analogy that I heard, and I think this is a great analogy. It's like a painting. You have all the different colors the artists use to make a painting, right? Make a masterpiece. And he uses these colors that are just common colors, and he uses them in a way to make something that is unique, a one painting with all these different colors. God has given you a gift, a particular combination of all the different types of giftings that's just unique to you. I mean, that's how God works, right? I mean, think how... Think how individual we are in a sense. Your own DNA strand that's different than everyone else. Your own fingerprint that's different than everyone else. Your, your own voice. You can tell who you, I mean, face recognition. It's unique to you. Your gift is completely unique. That's what I think it is. I think it's a creation of God, the gift that you have. In fact, I think it fits in Ephesians 2.8. Look what Ephesians 2.8, again, we have this memorized. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It's a gift it's grace. It's a gift of God, not a result of works. So no one may boast. Verse 10, for we are his workmanship. That word workmanship in the Greek is poema, which means to make or create. It's the word we get poem from. It's a work of art. It's a masterpiece. We are his poema. We are his creation. We are his work of art. Ephesians 2, 1 through 10 it's all about us being a new creation. So this is not talking about our first birth. This is talking about our second birth. When we were saved, we had new life, new birth, new self. We were recreated. 
And we are a new creation in Christ for we are his masterpiece, workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works. We are all unique. Listen, in one sense, there is no in- interchangeable parts in God's body. In one sense, you're ir- irreplaceable. Now, there's a paradox here because you're completely replaceable, too. <laughs> you think about that, right? I, as the teaching pastor here at Country Oaks, am both completely replaceable, right? I hope so. If I left for some reason, if I had to go, if something happened to me, right, as a teaching pastor, I hope Country Oaks would do fine. Actually, I hope we would thrive. And I hope we would find someone to replace me and we'd just keep going in our stride. But I'm also completely irreplaceable. There's going to be no other Nathan Heiner up here preaching. Right? There's no one with my exact gift. There's no one that teaches exactly like I teach. And we know this. We've gone through a couple pastors in recent history. We've seen that there's no other Pastor Andy. We've seen that there is no other Pastor Brent. Both have been replaced in one sense. Both are irreplaceable in another sense. There's a perfect balance of our replaceability and irreplaceability in the body of Christ. There's this perfect balance that we shouldn't think too highly of ourselves, right? Right? At the same time, your gifting is completely unique. Your gifting is like a fingerprint, unique to you. And God has sovereignly placed you here at Country Oaks Baptist Church for works of service. We need you. We need you. God's put you here for a reason. We need your giftings. We need each other. So your gifting is completely, that's the second observation. Each one of us has a gift. First observation, second observation, each gift is unique to you. Third observation is this. Your gift is measured. Your gift is measured. Look at verse 7 again. Grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. That word measure is metron. It's just a unit of measurement. Right? The word conveys that Christ not only gives every believer a gift, but he also determines the amount of that gifting. Some people in the church are more gifted than others, in other words. And I know that may offend our Disney culture mindset. I didn't didn't get any laughs in first service from that either. I should have known not to... You know, the first thing they told you in preaching class is don't do jokes. That's it. Yeah. We have this Disney culture, right, that if I just set my heart to it, I can do it. I can just be as good as anyone else. Listen, within the church, God has sovereignly measured out the giftings. He's measured out how gifted each one of us are. When you think about that, though, for a second, that's very comforting. It's very comforting. This is what one theologian said. Since our, gifts, since our gift is measured out by Christ, there should be no jealousy within the body. The differences of the gift does not determine the value. The differences of value is determined only by the individual's use of it within the body. Are you using your gift here at Country Oaks? I have limitations, and the more I get in front of people, the more you see my limitations. I'm not Charles Spurgeon. I'm not Jonathan Edwards. I'm not Timothy Keller, John MacArthur, John Piper. Some very gifted men. 
listen, I'm okay with that. It's because of these verses. And you know what? Every time I say something like this, I feel like people come up to me and go, but Nathan, you're a good pastor. Don't beat yourself up. I'm not beating myself up. I'm Nathan. You can't replace me. I'm, look. (laughs) I'm irreplaceable. I'm not beating myself up. God has given me a spiritual gift, and I'm super comfortable with my gifting. I hope you see that. And when I do stuff that mispronounce words, can't read, I don't lose sleep over it. Right? And it's not because I have high self-esteem, too, just so you know. My problem is that I esteem myself too much. I should esteem myself less. I'm just comfortable because God has given me the giftings, and there's a level of gifting that I have. It's not equal to everyone else. I understand that God is the one who gifted me and has measured that gifting. When it comes to my gifting, it, it's exactly the way God wanted me to be, which each, each one of us, the measure of our gifting is exactly the way God wanted you to be. You know what really bothers me, though? I just want to be clear. It's not how gifted I am. What bothers me is how faithful I am. I'm still a sinful person, and it haunts me. What bothers me at night when I'm sleeping and praying to God and asking for his grace, it's not how well I speak or the mess-ups. It's my impatience. It's my critical spirit. It's my lack of compassion sometimes. It's my laziness. When it comes to my giftedness, my, my gifting has been sovereignly given. When it comes to my faithfulness to God, it's what I'm concerned about. It's what we all should be concerned about. Am I being faithful the giftings that have been given to me. So that's the three observations of verse 7. Every Christian has a gift. Your gift is unique. Gift is unique to you. And your gift is measured. And we shouldn't be jealous that people are more gifted in the church and have different abilities. That's, that's great. We're, we're a team. We're a body. Which leads to a question. How do you know what your spiritual gift is? This is what Thomas Schreiner uh, a theologian said, we will discover our gift, and we will discover our gift when we pour ourselves into the life of other believers. When we get involved in the life of the body, then you'll discover your gift. I know those spiritual gift tests are super popular, at least they used to be super popular, and I don't think they're as popular anymore. I, I'm just not a big fan. I'm not saying they're wrong or anything like that, and the reason I'm not is just this. You want to know what your spiritual gift is? Just get involved. Find a need, fill it. God will show you. Just get involved, and God will make it clear. That's just my testimony. That's one of the reasons I've I've never taken a spiritual gift test. Again, I'm not saying they're wrong. I just haven't. When I was kicked out of college at 23, the long story, you asked me that later. At that point in my life, I just was a mess. And I needed truth. I needed something foundational. I needed truth to stand on. And, and I was in L.A., and I knew that Country Oaks always preached truth. And there was foundation here. And so I came back to Tatchby particularly to get involved in the church here, just to figure out what I believed and who I was. I just wanted to be a part of the church, and I needed truth. And I also wanted to be under the authority of godly men. That was my heart's desire right there, was just to hear truth and be under the authority of godly men because my, my, my life was such a mess. I knew there was godly men here at Country Oaks. So I just came here and got involved. 
anywhere I could. I, honestly, I was thinking about this as I was writing out my testimony here, and I probably annoyed the pastors and leadership of the church. I just was here all the time, and I, I went to the Mexico trip. I joined a small group. I served wherever I could, moving chairs. Anytime someone needed something, I was just there. I always wanted to be at the church. I hung out with people at the church. We watched Laker games at their Suez house. It just, we, that's what it was. My life just became a part of this church. That was it. I eventually got asked to help out at Lifehouse, which was a worship night. If you remember Lifehouse, worship night for the youth. Um, it was like a coffee house, and all I was asked to do was to set up chairs and, and pour coffee, and I was okay with that. It was around that time I felt called to be a pastor, to teach God's word, and listen, I didn't know teaching was a gift. I hadn't done very much teaching at that point. Church gave me opportunities, not only did they give me opportunities when I failed or looked dumb, they encouraged me. <laughs> and I appreciate that. Came part-time intern, started teaching some Bible studies here and there, and taught more and more and more. Came part-time staff, director of student ministries, that's the title Zach has right now. Was asked to preach by Pastor Andy, I was in this room, teaching the class, the HOS class, and he walked in and said, hey, would you preach this Sunday? I almost passed out. <laughs> and ironically, I told God about a week or month, I don't know, just, just before then, God, if, if I'm called to be a pastor, I know that one of the qualifications is to, to be able to teach. I'm going to take any opportunity it gets to teach. I told God, I'm like, why? <laughs> and it sleep that whole week. Came associate pastor now lead teaching pastor, and I believe I have a gift of teaching that God has given to me because I worked hard at it. I I do work hard at at, at teaching, but that gift was given to me. It's one of the reasons why when people say, hey, I feel called to be a pastor, I say, good, let's go teach. So if you don't have the gift of teaching, then you're probably not called to be a pastor. Let's see if you can teach. It's given. You know, I didn't know that at age 23. I just wanted to be a part of the church, and God slowly showed me, and this church came alongside me and confirmed that. I just wanted to be involved in the church. Listen, I have grown a deep love for CLBC. I hope that's obvious. It's not a perfect church. I've said that many times. But God's used this body to direct my life. I grew up here. I was taught God's word here. I was baptized here in the baptismal that's still here. It was in that room, though. I met my wife here. I got married here in this building. Went to seminary while working here. Felt God's call in my life here. The church came alongside me and confirmed that calling. And now I'm living out that calling. The church is so important. The church is so important. Listen, you want to know what your spiritual gift is? Make church a priority. I'm not trying to beat up anyone by saying this, but I keep seeing church as less and less a priority in people's lives. And you know what? Mike Owens is right. I'm thankful things are closing down. When I say the church is not coming Sundays because that might close down too, I'm talking about the people. Make the people a priority here. Make the church a priority. This is what Thomas Schreider writes. Gifts are not granted for our own spiritual growth but for the growth of others, for the strengthening of fellow believers. If you are involved in the church, 
You are serving other believers. You are exercising your gifts, even if you don't know what they are. And that's the most important thing of all. We're going to end there. I'm not going to have time to get into the second point this morning. We'll look at spiritual gifts a little bit more um, next week, either here or on live stream. We'll see what happens day to day. I pray the, uh, the Trump, or President Trump, not Pastor, President Trump has asked us as a, a church and as a body to pray, and I would encourage you all day today with your families, pray. If you don't do that very often, it's a great opportunity to grab your family, pull them together. Men, fathers, that's our responsibility. Let's pull our families together. Let's pray. We can do it. Let's pray for our country, pray for what's going on, and let's be calm. God's in control. I want to say this, though. Let's protect our elderly. So don't wash your hands because you're afraid you're going to get sick. Wash your hands because you don't want to get other people sick. You think it's ridiculous to not give handshakes and you're 30? That's fine. Do it for other people. Don't do it for you. That's my concern. And I love the older people in our church. Mrs. Maine said if I told her not to come to church, she would say no. Um, That scares me a little. (laughs) But we need to protect our older. And you know what? We may have to go grocery shopping. Ask some of the older people in the church, hey, stay home, what do you need? Especially people that are higher risk. That's a way to serve. When I say serve, too, I'm not talking about official, like, hey, I need to sign up for something to serve the church. Get involved in a small group. Figure out who needs something and serve them. It might be their car needs worked on. That's serving someone in the body. That's using your spiritual gift to love on someone. It doesn't have to be an official program to love on someone. But you have to be involved to know the needs. You have to get to know people to know the needs. So as this virus keeps going, that might be a need. Right? So keep your ears open to ways to serve some of our elderly people. We have the most amazing elderly people in this church. And we should be willing to serve them and love on them. So let's pray. Dear Father God, Lord, I thank you, Lord. That you are sovereign, God. That, that, I know people struggle with that doctrine, Lord. I, it just brings more comfort than anything else. I, I pray people see that doctrine, Lord, and are just amazed at your sovereignty, Lord. That when things like this that are, that are outside of our control and it feels like there's chaos in this world, Lord, we know that you're in control. You're sovereign. You're good. That we don't have to worry no matter what happens. We trust in you, Lord. I pray at the same time, Lord, that you help us to live wisely, Lord, to help us to love others, God. Help us to be just intentional on, on seeing needs within the body, Lord, and serving God. And I pray through that you show us what that unique gift is, Lord, so that we can serve and exercise that gift because we will be held accountable, Lord. The Bible clear says we are stewards of that gift. They are given to us for a reason, and that is to serve others, Lord. Help us to feel the reality of that, Lord. Just pray that you're with us right now. Be with us throughout this week in your son's name. Amen.